Hello, folks. Welcome back to Culture Dumps. We're back to normal dumpage this week. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'm here with Parks Miller. Um, we're going to talk about some stuff, because this is a, is a lighter dump, you know? <laughs> so, um, But it, you know, it's good, because we, we got some stuff to talk about. Sometimes you have some celery. Sometimes you got three enchiladas, you know? Well, it's like my brother says, you know, sometimes you order the prime rib, but they give you the chili. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice uh, poop stuff right at the top. That's good. Um, real quick, make sure that you guys are subscribing to the show on whatever apps you're listening to it and, you know, leave ratings and share it with your friends. Post us on social media. We do reshare posts and all that stuff and we love to see it. So uh, that and as always, you know, su- subscribe for our Patreon, patreon.com slash Culture dumps. Check out the Patreon. We got good stuff. I'm about to drop uh, an ICP related thing. I mean, we got little gems that I I forgot. We recorded the ICP thing like a month ago, or maybe oh, two weeks. Oh yeah, that's right. But um, we got little gems. If you like to hear us talk, you can hear us talk even more. <laughs> but also, if you don't want to subscribe, at least come on, hit the five stars, get the review. You love it. Yeah, you love it, right? Yeah, how how could you not? Keep on dumping, right? Um, I want to shout out to the Automatic Machines, a, a band. Uh, someone from the band was chatting with us uh, via email, and uh, they mentioned that there was like a whole trilogy involving Tub Girl and the and some of the uh, standard sites that mm, we were talking about uh-huh. on on the last one, like. Um, uh, Goatsy was 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 a big one, and uh, yeah, there was like Did a we trilogy. Not talk about Goatsy? I I don't know. Oh, I damn that was a whole whirlwind. Uh, we talked about, I, and a I was lot a little, you know, I was a little neebed on that stuff. one. No, you did great. I mean, we talked for like two hours. Oh yeah, just... dude, Mel, the the the, mm-hmm. uh, the you know the gal that helps us out with with research. She said that uh, she had told her parents like about working on the show. And they're like, oh, we'll check it out. And, like, she didn't think, like, or stop to think, mm, like, oh, they'll probably mm. just listen to whatever one just came out. And so right. it was, like, Faces of Death and Raw. And she's like, now my mom knows what meat spin is. Like, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the, and we still kept it relatively sanitized. I mean, you. I guess so. <laughs> you shared Tub Girl with me and uh, Matt. Uh, and I was like, damn, I was. Really bragging well, you know, about I how had to listen to uh, Matt talk burnt. about getting laid for like an hour and a half, so he gets to see Tub Girl. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say we're we're even. Um, um, but yeah, but thank no, you, I automatic just, like, machines. I thought it was. Uh, I just thought I remembered Tub Girl, and I didn't, and it's way more disgusting than I even remember. <laughs> it's, it's like horrifying. um horrifying. Like you know, whenever you watch any like teen like high school show or junior high based show there's always a science fair and like someone always makes a volcano a tub and, girl yeah yeah they, like that's like they they're making like tub girls like that that's the uh, deal um okay also right, real quick right, i want right. to say i uh <laughs> someone someone had asked if if uh we had watched the new barney documentary on peacock the i love you you hate me 
and uh, I did, and it is great, and I feel like we duped you on our Barney episode because I didn't bother to look into what happened in the lives of some of these people after the fact. Mm. I mean, we only talked about David Joyner and his tantric sex stuff, um, mm. which in the documentary, it's great because he talks about like, he's like, you know, I don't charge for sex. I charge for energy healing and meditation and the massage. He's like, and if they choose to have the full service, it's of no charge. So <laughs> he's like, he's like what you call sex. He's like, or what you think when you think of having sex, that's not what it is. It's a healing thing. It's, it's energy exchange. I'm like, bullshit dude. But okay. Sexual healing. Yeah. And, uh, the son, like, remember the creator of Barney made it, like made him up in order to entertain her son who she felt like there wasn't anything out there for. He grew up and I mean, obviously was insanely rich. Uh, he had like a mansion in Malibu and he fucking tried to kill a guy. He shot a guy and uh, I, I haven't finished it. So I don't know what, what happens to him, but he shot a guy and was facing life in prison. That's where I left off before we decided to start recording. And uh, today we're talking about LA gear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The, I'm gonna, this... <laughs> I'm gonna say off the top. This is, I feel like through culture dumps, I'm re-examining how, in some ways, my childhood was sort of sheltered. Like I didn't have cable TV, which has freaked people <laughs> out. Like I seriously was like, "What the fuck is LA Gear?" And like I was like, "This is some shit I did not have." It's uh, all right. When I was a kid. Um, but yeah, it it's like, oh, it was there the whole yeah. time. No, and it was people huge. are like, oh, yeah, L.A. gear. Yeah, so no, it, 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 it was huge. I mean, people have asked us to do specifically the light up ones, uh, which we'll get to. Right. But the whole company is really the dump here. So why is L.A. gear a dump? Well, L.A. gear is a dump because despite the company's long history of being one of the most visible apparel brands endorsed by some of the biggest stars of their time, it is on all fronts a total failure. LA gear still exists today against all odds though. The company made millions upon millions of dollars and continues to sell their products around the world. They have been struggling for decades. This is a dump that lies beneath the surface of an outwardly successful apparel brand and demonstrates the fact that visibility does not always equate to dollar signs, which I think is uh, very relevant nowadays with social media and stuff. You know, people are famous on the internet, but like they don't, like there's no substance to it, you know, or it, yeah. it could it could be deceiving. And like with people buying followers and stuff, like who knows what the worth of something actually is, um, despite Truly. the fact that everyone knows about it. And and there's also this kind of theme that we see where people sort of just sort of like you could say steal other people's creative ideas, and I feel like that sometimes can sure. lead you to this sort of faster track to success but then also it's there is kind of like sort of can be less substance i mean we're also talking about a fucking shoe here um but it is <laughs> it more than a shoe man shoe culture is feels like more bigger than it's ever been at the moment right and so part of me is like la gear is gonna like come back or something now well because well it's like ripe. but anyway we, we'll get we to will that. get to that we will get to that now LA gear was essentially an activewear company. So like think your Nikes and your Reeboks and Adidas and, and that kind of stuff. Um, 
but they marketed their products to less than active people. Um, that is to say, like they wanted to make it fashionable to wear sports focused footwear, much like how you were just talking about like the sneaker heads and like sneaker craze and like, right. you know, like people are wearing sneakers on the red carpet and stuff like that. You know, he's like, we can do that. That's what we're going to do. So he would advertise the shoes that way, even though they're basketball shoes, like let's put them on a singer instead of putting him on a basketball player. But we'll see that there is problems with both of that. Um, and this is now commonplace, you know, in the world of fashion. Like I said, n- think your Nikes, your Adidas, Reeboks, all that. Um, and yeah, particularly in the streetwear world, but it wasn't always that way. Enter Robert Greenberg. Our story begins in one of our absolute favorite eras in American history. It was the age of disco, cocaine, big bush, serial killers, cocaine, swinger parties, cocaine, and roller skating. It was the late 1970s. Any dump that starts here is, You're is like, good for Ryan, me. Ryan's stoked. Yeah, I, I love it so much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, I just you always love when someone with the coke. And they're like, I got a great idea. Yeah, and who knows if he was doing that. But I don't I can't, know if this I'm, guy was. He's I can't imagine he wasn't. Um, <laughs> and as I tell you his life story, he was definitely around it. Now, in 1978, yeah. an enterprising young man named Robert Greenberg purchased the license for the shoe-slash-skate company Hang 10. Roller Disco was huge at this time and was showing no signs of slowing down. This dance craze, coupled with the wellness and fitness fascination of the 1970s, fueled the purchase of thousands upon thousands of pairs of roller skates. One year after acquiring his own roller skate company, Greenberg incorporates his own Los Angeles skate rental shop he called Good Times, Inc., you cannot tell me people were not doing cocaine in the back of the roller skate shop in Los Angeles in the seventies called <laughs> yeah. good times Inc. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I, I, like it's so picturesque. Like I can see like the montage of the business, like him finally turning the open sign around and like uh-huh. babes in bikinis are like roller skating by They're like, Hey, cool shop. And he's like, <laughs> you know, how'd you get yeah. the name? Feel good. Inc. Well, I just wanted people to feel good. You know, that kind of shit. Um, you know, everyone waves at him. Oh, that's a skate guy. Greenberg. What's up? Yeah, very picturesque. Now, with his own skate brand and -and brick-and-mortar business, the next step was to manufacture his own skates. Under the name United Skates of America, Greenberg pumped out his own line of licensed Hang 10 skates that were rented and sold at his own Good Times, Inc. shop. The only problem was that within the following two years, the popularity of roller skating would slow to a stop. Uh, this is interesting though, because like disco adjacent in a way. Absolutely, disco demolition. Like you know, it's it's yeah. just over, and now we don't want the the roller skates. But uh, now they're back. Yeah, and skates. it, and it yeah, it, COVID man. Yeah, soaps <laughs> soaps are coming back. Um, but this is great because it's kind of like the you know using every part of the Buffalo thing. He looked at all these skates that now no one wanted and was like, how can I break these down and like basically sell them for parts? So while thinking of a way to stay afloat while his entire business model was becoming obsolete, Greenberg noticed that his customers, particularly women were repurposing the flashy novelty laces of their roller skates as laces for their sneakers. Greenberg filled his store with a vast array of fun and funky shoelaces that he sold $3 million worth of in just three months. It was with the shoelace money that he opened a Los Angeles-based women's apparel store that featured his own line of clothing and accessories that he called L.A. Gear. Oh, man. I, I, I'm telling you, this is uh, so some, like, not good for audio only, but I am 
fucking covered in bug bites, dude. It is excruciating. <laughs> like I am what freaking out here. <laughs> I leave the window open. There, there's cracks and shit all over my fucking house. They're getting in somehow. Um, and I'm always wearing Crocs in the house, so it's just like open. Anyways, not good podcast. <laughs> not good podcast content. Um, he called you the store. Uh, yeah, he went down for a scratch. He went down for a scratch. Yeah, and I'm gonna fucking I'm going crazy. Um, but he called it L.A. He wanted to focus the store on L.A. because he was from Boston, and L.A. to him at that time seemed like the fucking, you know, miracle town. This is like heaven on earth. Like like it's the poshest place. It's high fashion. It's fast times. You know, like that's the name LA. It's gotta, it's gotta be LA. Um, but it didn't really think of the gear part. Honestly, it was like, it was just like Los Angeles or like, it was just like a store like LA. And then, Right. But we'll, we'll, right. we'll get to how he got the gear part. Um, but we're going to back up for a second to discuss Robert Greenberg's origin tale. How did a young dude from Boston take over the women's streetwear market in 1980s Los Angeles? Well, Greenberg has always worked with and around women. You would think such a successful entrepreneur had gone to business school or grew up in a family business. But Greenberg actually went to beauty school where he studied to become a hairdresser. After a successful start as a hairdresser, Greenberg began expanding his horizons. He opened his own salon called Talk of the Town in 1962, eventually opening his own string of beauty supply stores as well and a, a few other salons. Uh, I think Talk of the Town became a chain. I think they were all called that, but I, I could be mistaken. I know the wig shop was called like Wigs and Things, <laughs> like just like basic names. Um, but yeah. I can only imagine that it was the constant flow of customers coming to his shops in order to get gussied up for an evening of roller skating that inspired him to jump into the skate business. Like, what are mm -hmm. all these girls like so excited about? Oh, disco. Oh, roller disco. Like, they're always coming in. This is the hottest thing. It's all they're talking about. Maybe I should get into this skate business. I mean, he he seems to have an eye for a trend. I mean, it sounds simple, but the taking the roller skate laces and putting them in shoes, I think that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's again. He he's breaking it down. Yeah. You know, especially with the shoelace thing. Now, Greenberg's store was not initially dedicated to L.A. gear products. Most of the store's business came from the major brands that they carried, and it was a sales rep from one of those companies that would accidentally inspire the brand name for Greenberg's original clothing line. While visiting a warehouse for the shop, a sales rep from another company mentioned that the clothing they carried was real L.A. gear. This is some real L.A. It's gear. some real L.A. stuff here. This yeah. is some real L.A. gear. And an employee overheard this comment and jotted it down. They gave the note to Greenberg, who had just announced that he was holding a contest to name the store and the new brand. And at first, Greenberg ignored the suggestion until he had that eureka moment in the middle of the night and decided to use the name. The the eureka oh someone just handed it to me yeah <laughs> yeah well <laughs> no it's shit. like it's like ah, i'm not crazy about this and then like waking up in the middle of the night and be like i'm fucking crazy about this also um, isn't isn't gear like a movie slang for like drugs movie like, slang. The, i mean yeah like well it's like if the, you, oh, like some gear, shit people don't really say but like you got no the like gear. Your, your gear would be like your kit like like do you have any like do you have the gear it's like you know your thing to tie off with in your syringe and your spoon like the, your yeah. gear or it's some just or it's just LA a syringe gear. yeah i need some clean gear yeah this is some <laughs> real la gear what a lame person to be walking through they're like this is some real la gear but again it was the very early 80s so in 1983 the la gear store officially opened and was fully stocked with la gear products that included shirts shoes and accessories 
Greenberg soon realized a flaw in his new business. You could only get L.A. gear gear at the L.A. gear store. With no... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with, with no way to grow his customer base, Greenberg closed the store in 1984 in order to focus on shoes. And he began contacting shoe re- retailers to set up wholesale deals. Now, going back to the him taking the skates, he was like, okay, the skates are cool. People liked them, especially the Hang 10 brand because they looked more like shoes than like traditional skate like you know, shapes and, and, mm-hmm. and lines and all that. Um, so he's like, let's make shoes that look like these skates, you know, and like kind of just started manufacturing like the shoe part, um, right, right. with, you know, some added on features and with the funky laces and that's LA gear shoes. Now, the thing that made LA gear different from other sneaker brands was that they didn't necessarily flaunt the function of the footwear. LA gear was more fashion forward and their ads didn't portray action rather relying on sheer aesthetic instead. So think like gals at the mall, like shopping, like laughing or like people are like hanging out at the park or something, but not playing sports. Yeah. Yeezys. Yeah. Jesus. Oh man. That guy. Hot water, hot water. Now, LA Gear's fresh take on women's casual footwear proved to be vastly profitable. The company raked in $10 million in 1985 and went public the following year. The profit margin increased by 200% that year, as well as 1987 and 1988. By the time 1989 wrapped up, LA Gear had made a modest $600 million. In fact, the company was so successful in 1989 that Business Week, The Wall Street Journal, The LA Times, and Fortune Magazine all named LA Gear the best performing stock of the year. At the time, it seemed there was no stopping LA Gear, but as we have seen so many times before, Parks' theory of the nine reared its ugly head. Do you remember saying this about uh, pod, about Woodstock 99? Oh, just... Okay, wait, the nine where it's like... That is where 69, like 99, yeah, like things are, things are, you just kind of subconsciously put things into a decade and people are just more ready to be like, Oh, it's 1970. It's 1990. Like I want something new. And so there, I just feel like there sometimes are these greater pushes to like, now what's the next 10 years going to be like, even though it might only be, you know, six months between halfway of 89 to 90, Right, but so, but then weird trends can kind of get lost in this mucky, like you know, like with grunge, it kind of like yeah, it just you know, destroyed everything, man. It destroyed real music. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the yeah the nine, yeah the nines, you know. Right, and and I two thousand nine, you know, there was uh, you know, it was like Arcade Fire. It was like everyone's like indie rock is like yeah. at the Grammys, and then at that point you're like, all right, so we got to It was like the millennial whoop or whatever. Yeah. Yep, and then that was it. Yep, that was uh, that was my time. That was my glory days, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, no, essentially, like anything, like what once once it clicked over to 1990, and like the MTV culture was changing, like anything that was popular in the 80s represented that. You know, it represented the 1980s, and people didn't want that anymore, especially young people who are the driving force behind the fashion industry. So. Welcome to the 90s, motherfuckers. As a new decade began, the next phase of LA gear commenced. 
Staying on track with their fashionable aesthetic, the executives, which also included L.A. Gear co-founders Andy Samen and Ernest and Stephen Williams, uh, not too much info about them. It's mostly the it's mostly Greenberg's story. But anyways, they all decided to follow in the footsteps of Nike and other big shoe brands by acquiring celebrity endorsements. Except rather than popular athletes demonstrating the effectiveness of the products, L.A. Gear hired entertainers to endorse their shoes to demonstrate just how fucking cool they were. Um, now they did have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but it was kind mm-hmm. of like after his peak, you know. And well, it was he was about like, to retire. Yeah, which, which I feel like also is interesting. So he's like, because, I like wearing these because they remind me of the time when I was relevant. Yeah, it feels like they did him dirty with that. I mean, I'm just remembering <laughs> when like Kobe Bryant retired. It seemed like there was so much hype still about him. Re- re- like it's. I mean, maybe, like, I don't know enough basketball. I don't, like, I know Michael Jordan. Well, I know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is, like, a legend. I know he's a legend, but, like, I guess, like, maybe Michael Jordan, it feels like, you know, people don't talk about the time he, I can't remember, was it Washington? Like, he played with a team, not the Bulls. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, it feels like people are always focusing, like, Jordan with the Bulls is the glory period, and it seemed like maybe there was a, a period of, like, oh, He's playing with Washington. Maybe he's getting a little too old or something. But I just remember it seemed like they like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I guess, just got clowned really hard yeah, for like he, seeming like an old. He got he got guy. well. And I mean, he, but he rules. He, Don't get me wrong. He rules. No, and he's but, in that fucking Bruce Lee movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Great. And he's oh, in yeah. an airplane. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, he was sponsored by L.A. Gear. It's like what people think when they think of, like, Shaq when it comes to his shoes. It's like, well, they sell Shaq shoes at, at Walmart. You know, it's like kind of like the stigma. But right. uh, at this point in time that we're talking about here with L.A. Gear, um, they they were in, like, high-end. Re- they were at, like, your Nordstrom's and stuff like that. Like, they were there was, like, a high-end shoe. They'd be sold alongside all the all the major brands. They weren't discount stuff yet. So L.A. Gear, they began as a women's apparel line, but in 1987, they expanded to menswear as well. L.A. Gear was never as popular with the dudes because most people knew the brand as a woman's sneaker company. It just didn't occur to that's you that for, that's you for would... Chicks. That's for chicks, dude. What the hell? Check out those corky laces. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but inspired by the success of Michael Jordan's signature shoes, L.A. Gear decided to hire a male entertainer to push their men's line. And who better to represent men's fashionable activewear and compete with the best-selling basketball shoe of all time than another famous Michael, Michael Jackson. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's, dude, he's like the constant, like... Heartbeat. He is like the metronome of dumps of dump history. Like through everything that we've ever talked about, Michael Jackson is like lying below the surface. You, <laughs> we can't, yeah. we, we can't yeah. get rid of him. Yeah, you can't now, get rid of him. Yeah. The thing I mean, though, also, how are you gonna not talk about Michael fucking Jackson? I could go you know? on and on. You, I could, do, I could do it all day. <laughs> uh, so Michael Jackson, he was famous for Michael Jackson shit. With the exception of Pepsi, Michael didn't really lend his image to any products outside of his own. But sure, 19- but the Pepsi thing was like super successful. You oh know? yeah, huge. Yeah, but I mean, because so... that was the thing. If he knew that, if he lent his fucking image to something like that's going to be the biggest thing. So he was very picky about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so it was pretty much only Pepsi. And I'm sure he had part of his contract was like, you can't do other spots. Like definitely not like sodas, you know? Right. Um, 
Yeah. So, anyways, uh, in 1990, a $20 million check from LA Gear changed all of that. And Mm -hmm. Michael was put into LA Gear ads. And the first print ads with Michael Jackson were confusing for potential customers. Yes, everyone loved Michael Jackson, but they weren't trying to dress like him. Like, Michael Jackson uh, has, like, that Elvis quality (laughs) where even if you dress, like, a little like him, like, it's too much. Right. Uh, I mean, well, I guess... It seems like people. Do, I mean, I feel like there was like the like, unless you're Corey Feldman, you're not the, trying to dress like Michael Jackson. Or wasn't it like Charlie Murphy talking about how like he would make fun of Eddie for like trying to dress like him? Like, I feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> people would try, but then they were you know could be sort of comedy fodder because that, I mean that's what was so interesting about him is that even though he was super like they make Halloween costumes of this popular, guy, yeah, and also, but I mean, let's give him credit, like. This is thinking about it now with everything we know. And like, you know, I feel like in the 80s, though, it was still like it was more of a mystique as opposed to like a straight up like that guy is weird and creepy. It was still like the mystique of like this mega celebrity who's ruling the charts. Like the last time you could dress similar to Michael Jackson and not like completely stand out like a fucking weirdo is like thriller era. Because once he's once he's does bad. Which is like shortly before this, like now it's like straps and buckles and like you, you're not you're not gonna wear shit like that, like you know. What yeah. I mean? you're just, you're just and then not... what's interesting is even and bad was successful, but then it was like immediately like Michael Jackson is even kind of part of this nines thing where it's like immediately in the nineties, like nineties Michael Jackson is just so so very different than eighties Michael Jackson. That's when you start getting your first accusations of the, right. of the the kitty stuff. He didn't really put well, out a ton of music. I mean, he still had some big hit. He was still a huge presence because right. of how huge he was in the 80s. But when you think about his 90s, stuff, I mean, you don't I mean, and please forgive me. I'm sure there are people that do. But I mean, nine times out of 10, you're going yeah, to go to scream 80s, with Janet, his 70s and 80s music. Right. You know? But I mean, he's still the biggest star in the still world. It's huge. It, yeah. It, it's just a weird, a, a weird choice. In 1990. Yeah. That's three years before the first public accusations of uh, child and abuse that's come gonna, out. You know, it's just, and that's going to that's going to stick with L.A. gear and then, for a like, while. I feel like the jokes, too. Like, I feel like the 90s is when the jokes started to happen. I mean, yeah. there's also, you know, like the, the pigment, like the skin pigment that became like a uh, everything. Yeah. Joke thing. Um, yeah. I did want to say I, I read about this this contract, this because it's, you know, 20 million dollar contract where it was like he was going to wear the shoes all the time. But he was also supposed to release an album like a greatest hits and put like wear LA gear on his next album cover. Like that was, Uh, (laughs) yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, but instead they did these weird print ads. Uh, one has like Macaulay Culkin, like he's always with, with kids. And then another one has Wade Robson in it, who was one of the accusers from leaving Neverland who tells the incredibly graphic, uh, reaccount. I mean, Mm -hmm. both the the guys do, but, uh, recounting of the abuse (laughs) that they suffered. Sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I am <laughs> okay, good. laughing because I'm looking at your outline here and the way you spelled Macaulay Culkin. Oh, I know. Dude, I don't, I don't, it says I don't spell check Muckley the uh, notes. Culking. Muckley like, Culking. Muckley. Like, <laughs> I feel like we need to like show this to people. Like, I was like, Muckley Culking. Like, that's like, a, Culking is like a verb. 
Yeah. Like, when you're, <laughs> Muck- and like, yeah, Muckley he was Muckley is doing a bad job. Michael of Jackson, it. yeah. Yeah, um, muckily cocking Michael Jackson. Um, no, I was thinking maybe I'll start uploading the uh, the scripts to Patreon. But <laughs> I, w- I want to play a clip though from one of these LA Gear ads. Oh, absolutely. Um, to enter into the '90s, the theme of our ad campaign is unstoppable. This word epitomizes what LA Gear and Michael Jackson represents. Michael Jackson will be a fabulous spokesman for the company because of a sense of style. And he will touch the children of all ages all over the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, horrible word choice. Not a, sorry. That wasn't an ad. That was like the press conference of like announcing Michael Jackson as like this great new brand venture. And to use that phrase is just has aged so horribly. Oh, yes, it has. Yeah. No one wants to do anything uh, that touches kids anymore. Um, good. <laughs> so besides the odd choice of spokesperson, people just plain hated the shoes. The signature Michael Jackson sneakers were called the Billy Jean and featured all kinds of buckles and straps and bullshit that only Michael Jackson would wear. After the incredible failure of Billie Jean, the fat cats at LA Gear doubled down and decided to get a female endorser to offset the profit loss caused by the Michael Jackson debacle. LA Gear hired Paula Abdul as their second celeb spokesperson, and this proved to be a wise decision as women's shoe sales were great, but that still wasn't enough. Uh, did you see these shoes, the Billie Jeans? Yeah. They're kind of sick. That's what I'm saying is like now that, uh, you know, emo is just so cool. Like, I've, I, I really like looking at those. I was like, <laughs> I could see some like emo rapper. You know, like oh it's, yeah. Now is oh, the he's... best time to like proudly proclaim fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, hot topic. Like it feels like I was like, yeah, it could, it could, I could see it, but it also still looked really goofy. At the same time, it would be like this is the next wave. Of footwear trends or something. Right. Yeah, it's it's totally bizarre. I mean, they look like Michael Jackson's sneakers or like sneakers that he would outfit the children that he kept around him that he dressed like him. Like, you know, like it's... Eh, that's not really like a good selling point. It's not great. Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, but still wanting to cross over into the men's athletic world, L.A. Gear hired basketball star Carl Malone to rep the brand. The signature model of the shoe Malone was hawking was called the Catapult. And the ads this time really did stress the cutting-edge tech that went into the shoe, which included an anti-fatigue rebound mechanism and 20 pounds of thrust energy. Which, by the way, Parks, I'll give you 20 pounds of thrust energy. Uh, I had to. to. Um, This is all bullshit language. Anti-fatigue rebound mechanism. They're like, oh, you mean souls. Yeah, like, that sounds like, and then twenty pounds of thrust energy sounds super pornographic. Yes, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. While well, they're trying to touch kids, you know, um, the ads also promoted just how much cooler they looked than other shoes. The promise of the catapult would be instantly crushed on live television during a 1991 college basketball game when a player for Marquette University was outfitted with a brand new pair of LA Gear catapults. This was a huge deal, and everyone's like, "Oh, what's on his feet?" This guy was a re- re- really promising player. Yeah. This game was, you know, really big in, in the playoffs. Um, but during the game the shoe began to come apart and another player tripped over the flapping sole of the shoe causing the entire shoe to just completely rip apart and (laughs) spread its parts all over the basketball court on live television and the company would never recover from this blunder no one's 
shoes have fallen apart on the fucking court. Yeah, and I mean, and basketball is also a game that just involves so much shit talking. So, like, once something like that happens, like, I could just see how that would just spread immediately of being like, dude, you can't wear the L.A. gear anymore. Like, yeah, no, yeah. like it, it just feels like it would immediately create a stigma. Of yeah, just like oh, totally. They're the sh- they're the, the shitty ones, and now Carl Malone is like, everyone. "You're the one that wears those shitty fucking shoes," and now you're gonna be seen as like a second tier like all star. You know what I mean? Because you're yeah. repping the shitty stuff. Um, now, LA Gear, they did have one last stand before they went full on shitty. They released the LA Lights line in 1992 and focused on kids' shoes. The LA Lights were wildly successful, selling 5 million pairs in the first year. But when compared to the negative impact of the failed products, it didn't matter. On top of this, it was discovered that the mesmerizing lights that made the shoes worth buying were caused by a small amount of mercury that were included in every shoe. When this information came to light, parents refused to allow their children to wear them. And in Minnesota, specifically, it was a huge uproar, and the shoes were banned from being sold, and LA Gear had to pay $70,000 to set up a recycling and exchange program for Minnesota customers that bought LA LA So, during this period of, like... They're, they're just taking hits, and even though it's successful, uh, Nike sues L.A. Gear in 1990 right. uh, over kind of like, I guess, design... Yeah, it, 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 lo- the it looked the same. Yeah, yeah, it looked too much. But and and I mean, they really did look very, very similar. And the whole thing is like L.A. Gear. They have no idea how to like jettison themselves into that world of like the sports shoes. So they're just like, let's just make the ones that people like ourselves. Right, and also like it just felt like um, Greenberg was just like kind of I don't know. He sort of seemed to. Like his whole model is kind of like doing, like taking what's, ideas what's off popular other right things, now. Yeah. You know? So, uh, LA Gear, they counter sue Nike trying to like say that they're monopolizing the market of dope ass Air Jordans or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not really sure. Um, but then they get hit in 92 with a suit from Reebok. And now by the way, Nike and Reebok, Reebok I'm pretty sure Sorry. were like the two the two most popular basketball shoes. Yeah. at the time. And so they're so they got sued for the like the pump. Thing. Yeah. That's and so like, stupid. I'm so ignorant. What is the pump? Is that what makes the shot? Like I don't even know no, what the no, pump was for. No, it it like inflates your fucking the tongue, t- right? the tongue, if I'm not mistaken, and kind of gives you more cushion and like keeps your foot like it, it's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. But why would you not just have that all the time? Like, are you like, because you can pump it. It's interactive. It's like, People like to press stuff. It's like fidget spinners for your feet. I just couldn't imagine. Like, it seems like you would immediately just pump it or something. Anyway, I don't know yeah. enough about shoes. Like Austin Powers got, when he like blows got, it up. They got sued by Reebok also. And so they ended up, I think, having to pay like intellectual property right like copyright to like just to make keep making the shoes they were paying their competitors to make their shoes 
I see. Yeah, it, it's a whole thing. I mean, yeah, they're just not doing great. Like, they had it so, like, they had it worked out, and they just got too big for, for their britches. But we'll see more of that as yeah, we go that, here. Yeah, that was a part of it, is that they ended up having to pay a lot more money than they were making. I want to go back to the, the Michael Jackson thing really quickly. So Michael Jackson, the, I mean, the, the ad campaign failed, right? So then yeah. Michael Jackson didn't release an album with the shoes on the cover because I'm sure at that point, Michael Jackson's like, I got to distance myself from this shitty campaign. Yeah. Maybe Um, he didn't even want to wear those shitty shoes. And LA gear tried to sue Michael Jackson for like $40 million. And then Michael Jackson countersued LA gear for like 40, maybe it was 20 million, but they both sued each other over the failed campaign. (laughs) yeah yeah. but again though michael jackson biggest star ever so even if he is suing you that makes it in the news la gear's name is being they're trying to come up it's all over the place la gear is a very visible product it's just becoming visible in the wrong way because their shoes like i told like i said at the very beginning they weren't made to be like these great fucking sports shoes that like are gonna you know be worn by olympians like they're made to like go out shopping with the gals you know but then they've tried to do it like going into college basketball you're like right and then they and then they blow it exactly because that's not what that's not their thing they didn't know uh after that very public mishap with the la lights the high-end retailers began to pull the la gear products from their shelves executives are freaking out and made the desperate decision to begin selling the shoes in discount retailers they had the option and this is what a lot of companies do to destroy the back stock to burn it and basically Mm. start fresh because you're basically sitting on, on a decision where it's like okay do we undersell ourselves by selling all this shit just to like move it? Or do we destroy it, cut the losses and then make something new, you know, um, or, right, or, right. or do we tarnish our brand name by, you know, taking them out of stores like, you know, your Nordstrom's and your foot lockers and things like that and selling them in, you know, discount retailers because no one, like none of these stores wanted to carry LA gear shit anymore either. Cause they just fell apart it. on live TV. Yeah. And, it's, and right. then, you know, after 1993, Michael Jackson gets hit with that. Oh, remember he, these are the Michael Jackson shoes, you know, like weirdo, yeah. like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole, whole deal. Um, and yeah, so, it's just the reputation is completely ruined here. In 1995, after suffering a net loss of $60 million, LA Gear teamed up with the ultimate, not high-end, not really that cool retail chain, Walmart. And due to the problems with LA Gear's executive board, the deal was broken not long after it began. The shoes then found a home at Payless, where they are still sold to this day, but we're not quite there. After the fallout with Walmart, LA Gear stopped producing men's shoes. They also attempted a crossover with activewear brand Rika, but what LA Gear didn't know is that Rika was in worse shape than LA Gear. So once again, that fell through. Like, yeah. like, they're, like. Meanwhile, they're both like these really visible brands, and they're both looking at each other, thinking like, if only we can team up with them, that'll save us. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, you know, it's like. The, uh, two people they're each on a sinking ship thinking that if they get to the other's boat uh, they'll be fine sorry i want to sorry i want to go back to michael jackson one more time because <laughs> you just because the, like the de- there's something specially shitty about it because i was just thinking about how travis scott made a fucking what was it was it mcdonald's or burger king mcdonald's it was a he his yeah, mcdonald's so meal 
and, was and BTS super successful. So it can it can totally happen. Like that sounds like a silly idea, but it yeah. really worked. So I don't know. It seems really special that this failed. Well, th- that I mean, that's kind of a whole I was thinking of uh, more fast food dumps like the Popeye's chicken sandwich thing where like there was literally like a stabbing over right. it and like all that. But the celebrity like meal endorsement things like with BTS, which, by the way, they had the best one that it came with like a chili sauce that was made specially for the nugs uh, for them. And it was delicious. Um, yeah, it was delicious. But I remember it's when, an like easier sell. Yeah, well, it, it was it was such a big thing, but then Burger King tried to do it, and it was Nelly. Like, like Nelly had his own Burger oh. King meal, so it's like, okay, guy who's like not really Nelly, like BTS. as famous, and uh, he's at Burger King, which isn't like nearly as popular as McDonald's. Like, it, he LA geared it, dude. Burger King is That's the LA awesome. gear of fast food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Jackson would eat Burger King for twenty million dollars. You. All right. Anyways, it may seem as though the serious financial trouble began after the short-lived success, but in reality, the company was floundering since 1991, something consumers and investors were unaware of due to the company's high visibility. In 1991, after two quarterly losses and twice defaulting on their Bank of America debt, the original founders of LA Gear stepped down, leaving a sinking ship behind. With nowhere left to turn and with the original founder stepping down from the company, the newly formed executive board, now headed up by a former low-level executive from Reebok named Mark Goldstein, was bailed out by an investment firm called Trefoil Capital. Trefoil injected $100 million into the company. What, what are you thinking? You, like, oh, let's give $100 million to this company that hasn't done anything fucking right in like the last like five years. Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> it's like out of control. Sometimes it works. Uh, yeah. So over the next few years leading up to the Walmart deal, Trefoil switched executive teams six times, and LA Gear went through two more company heads, eventually landing on longtime head of marketing at LA Gear, Bruce McGregor. They're just running out of people to run both these companies. It's like anything involved with LA Gear starts getting fucked up. Like this investment company with all this billions of dollars worth of money, they started going through all these problems the second they get with LA Gear. It's ridiculous. Now, trying to cash out before there was nothing left, Trefoil sold its $100 million stake in LA Gear for a measly $228,000 in that 1997, a, dude. That's an L, fam. <laughs> that's an L. No cap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's rough. It, dude, that is such an insane drop. I, that might be the biggest financial loss we've ever covered on this show 100 million dollars down to 228,000 now the following year 1998 la gear filed for bankruptcy fucking finally miraculously though the company is still in existence the average income for the company nowadays is a little over 1.7 million although if you believe what they say on their website a huge comeback is underway, and many classic models of LA Gear shoes are back on the market currently. They're actually kind of yeah. dope. They're like eighty bucks. Like I would rock a pair for sure. I would wear a pair there of LA go. Gear shoes like out way quicker than I would wear a pair of Osiris D threes. And I have worn Osiris D threes right. out right. in the last three years. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a good maybe that's like what something we, like a versus you know like the Osiris versus the L A gear. Well, Osiris can take a fucking beating. A fucking L A gear catapult can't even make it through one game. Because I because I feel like the uh, 
Osiris, I've been noticing like a very like oversized shoe, like Renaissance shoe of like, you know, like these crazy Balenciaga shoes. Like I got some, I got some big shoes now. They're like little rave shoes. Like I feel like the Osiris kind of, well, except for it still looks like a really ugly skate shoe with the really <laughs> fat tongue. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I wear um, them actually. <laughs> so I don't know, but well, it seems of- like LA gear could like. And again, I don't really have the experience of it as a kid, but I feel like there is a strong nostalgia. I could see you in a pair of lights. And it's just dumpy or slightly niche enough that like some asshole could be like, yeah, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this big. I'm going to make this big. Well, Robert Greenberg, the guy behind all of it, he went on to found the next wave of celebrity endorsed sneakers uh, and created Skechers. So he's doing just fine. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. uh, And he's got his fingers in a couple other pies, too. But yeah, Um, L.A. gear and Skechers, man. I mean, fucking Skechers like he it's great. But I want to talk about what like what it all means. What what does L.A. gear mean in the world of dumps? Well, I guess it means you got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Robert Greenberg is an American success story. The tale of L.A. gear proves that one can be successful despite massive failure. Roller skates are big. Great, let's sell those. They aren't big anymore. Great, let's just sell the laces. You know what people don't need? Or you know what people need laces for? Shoes. Where do they buy the shoes? At a store. There's only one store. Great, let's sell the shoes in other stores. And so on and so forth. He never stopped. Always finding the next turn. You know, like always like, you know, expecting the next bump in the road. Never give up. It also kind of reminds me of social media in a sense. You might see a company advertised to you a million times a day, but that doesn't mean it's successful. Visibility doesn't always equal success. Oversaturation and underdelivery are a financially fatal combination. So stay on track, be patient, and most of all, know your audience. That's what LA gear means to me. Yeah, Robert Greenberg, please sponsor us. I would love a pair of shape ups. Um, for <laughs> you know, get this ass right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but that's it, folks. Um, we're gonna have uh, a, a kind of a heavier one uh, next time on, on Culture Dumps. It was what I was debating on having be our Halloween special before we settled on what we settled on. Uh, so prepare for that. And if you want exclusive content like side series, bonus episodes, research materials, etc., sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash culture dumps. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at culture dumps and send us an email sometime with suggestions, comments, or anything you'd like at uh culture dumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by parks Miller. Keep on dumping. <laughs>